The following is a sermon from Faith Troy, a church located in Troy, Michigan. For more information and more audio and video content, go to www.faithtroy.org. So it's um, been really exciting for me um, personally over these last couple of weeks because I've gotten to hear from so many of you. I've gotten emails from you. You stopped me in the hallways. Um, you stopped me even you know, before and after church services about how excited you are about what it is that we are talking about together in this series for these last several weeks, and um, even more so how excited you are about what it is that we're going to be doing to help out that mission, our mission partner up in uh, Marquette, Michigan, um, known as Victory Church, and what we're going to be able to do up there with them. And this is uh, one of those kind of interesting times. It is actually one of those fun times where it's actually great to be a part of a larger church, right? Because big groups of people can actually make a big difference, and you all are going to make a really big difference in the lives of so many people together, both here in this community, but also all throughout our world over the course of the next year. And so, again, the reason why we're doing all this, the reason why we're talking about this, is because we really do believe that everybody, right, everybody matters to God, even if God does not matter to them. And so this and everything we're talking about in this series is really about how it is that we can actually back that belief up with some very, very tangible action steps because, as we learned last week, that is just what our Heavenly Father did for us. He didn't just say something, right? He didn't just write something. He didn't just preach something. He actually did something to show and to demonstrate his love for us in sending Jesus into this world for us. And so we want to do the very same thing. We want to let our neighbors know. We want to let our communities know. We want to let the entire world know that they are valuable to us specifically because they are valuable to our Heavenly Father. And so therefore they really are very, very valuable to each one of us, even if they do not believe about Jesus, what it is that we believe about Jesus. Now, if this is your first time this morning, or if this is your first time back after being gone for a couple of weeks, you are kind of coming into the middle of all this, but that is okay. Um, there's certainly plenty of time to get you all caught up. Uh, what we're doing, the reason we're doing this series is because everybody in the United States of America, when they hear the word church, everybody thinks something. And the hard truth is, is that many times what it is that they think isn't really all that great. And we think the best way to change that idea it's not by arguing with people, it's not by judging people, it's not by scaring people, it's not by pointing out all the things that we are against. Instead, it's to say, no, this is what we as followers of Jesus, this is what we are for. And so a couple of weeks ago, we began this series by saying that one of the things that we are for is giving and actually being generous. And it was that weekend that I challenged all of you to give a one-time gift of 1995 for Victory, right, which is one of our mission partners up in Marquette, Michigan, who works they work um, as a group with a, a very, very, um, in a very, very difficult community. It, it, they work with children, families, and individuals um, who are struggling in a community with the highest rates of drug addiction and death as a result of drug and alcohol addiction compared to anywhere else in our state. And on top of that, their funding is going to run out in just about two months. 
And, and the three missionaries that run that place, Cheryl, Tammy, and John, their, their funding is going to end that supports them. And so what I challenged you with is this whole idea that, that um, if we can raise $20,000, right, over the course of the six weeks that we're in the series together, um, that's going to actually support Cheryl, Tammy, and John for a year. I mean, three missionaries for a year, which is absolutely incredible. As of last week, week two, right, of the series, you all have given over $22,000 to Victory for Victory, all of which, because you are so ridiculously generous, which is awesome, and it makes me so proud of you as, uh, as your pastor. It makes me so proud of our church that that would be your heart for these people. And so um, if you haven't given that year 1995 yet for Victory Today, you can do that after the service. And again, the reason why you still need to do that, even though we've beaten the goal, right? Okay, we have. We, you guys have, have beaten the goal, no doubt. I still want you to do this because in just a couple of weeks, we're going to give it all away. And there's going to be much rejoicing and celebrating in Marquette, Michigan, because they have no clue any of this is happening. They're not expecting this in any way. And see, I don't want you to be bummed out because you missed out on being part of something amazing. So 1995 for victory at the end of the service today. Now that brings us to last week, and we talked about this whole idea that we are for serving and actually for doing good for other people, right? Even those people who would never even consider doing good for us. And we said as unnatural as that is, as hard as that is, again, that is what Jesus did. That's what our Heavenly Father did for us. And that's what Jesus actually asks us as his followers to do, even though it's not natural. And because we're just like, because we are followers of Jesus, we just kind of go with whatever Jesus says, right? Even though it's hard. And so that is what we do. And this is why today, after the service, next week, all weekend, Saturday, Sunday, I want you to go into the gym, and I want you to honestly prayerfully consider which one of those ministry opportunities, those service opportunities that you will be willing to be a part of during the course of the next year, sometime in the next year. And again, signing up for one of those things, it doesn't commit you to anything. It's just you saying, it's a statement to your Heavenly Father saying, listen, I am willing to pray and I am genuinely willing to hear more information than ask you, Father, is this what you would have me do personally to show love and to serve someone who cannot or will not serve me back? Now that brings us all to today, so now you're all caught up. That brings us to today and the third part of what we're talking about today. And the third part that we're talking about today is perhaps um, the most difficult part and the most challenging part, because today what we're talking about is the loving part. And so in order for us to talk about this for a little bit, I have to tell you a little bit about me and a little bit about my um, thoughts about God and my experience with God as I was growing up. Um, and so... Um, Many of you know um, that, you know, faith is not my growing up church. In fact, you know, I, I didn't, uh, I grew up at a, a church much smaller than this one, um, a few miles south of here. And for the first part of, of my life growing up, um, every week I went to church with my mom and my younger sister. The three of us went to church together every single Sunday. Um, my dad didn't go to church at this point in time. Um, and uh, we were there every week, basically, because my mom taught Sunday school. And when your mom teaches Sunday school, she has to be there every week, and that means you have to be there every week. So I grew up going to church every single week until I was in about the sixth grade, and that's when my whole family, including my dad, started coming to church here at Faith. Now, Faith was a big 
different, big, largely different church than my old church, primarily because faith was big and my old church was not. And again, I've told you this before too, the whole standing in front of people thing and talking to people thing is just not how I'm naturally wired up, but it's really not how I was wired up as a sixth grader. And so as a result of all that, really for me, for most of my life as a teenager, from the time I was in sixth grade to the time I was about 19, I was pretty much isolated spiritually. I didn't connect with anybody spiritually my own age. And so that left me in a position where I'd come up with a bunch of thoughts and a bunch of ideas and about a bunch of assumptions that I made about how God feels about me and how it is that God operates. And some of those assumptions were that I I believed um, that God had this list of rules that he expected me to keep, um, and I didn't always know what those rules were, right, because it seemed like there was a lot of them, um, and, and it wasn't always clear to me about what the rules were. Um, but, but I thought that if I kept all those rules that God wanted me to keep, then everything between me and God would be good. Now, I knew this wasn't about heaven someday, okay? So you need to understand that part, too. My mom made it very clear. Um, heaven someday, for me, was going to be because of Jesus. So I knew that. This was all just about me and God actually being good, about being able to lay in bed at night and actually feel like everything was okay between me and God, that God would actually listen to my prayers, that he would actually hear my prayers. And so I just assumed that, that there was this list of things, and if I did all those things, then God and me were good. Now, if this at all sounds like you and your story, that's because there's also a Catholic version of this. There's a Baptist version of this. There's kind of a general Protestant version of this. Right? There's even a Muslim version of this, because at its core, this is what all religion is really all about. It's about making sure that you and God are good, that God's going to hear your prayers and that God's going to answer your prayers. And I thought what I needed to do was to figure out what it was that God was wanting from me, because if I know what God wants from me, then I can make God happy. And if I make God happy, then maybe God will do for me what it is I think God needs to do for me. And so I thought ultimately my job was to make God happy. And because I'm really sharp, I realized that also meant not making God angry. And that always comes down to doing certain things and not doing certain things. And so consequently, I spent a lot of my life asking questions like, is this a sin? Is that a sin? Is there anything wrong with? Is God, God going to be upset with me if? And so I was constantly asking those kind of questions to try to figure out, okay, God, where are the lines that I am not supposed to cross? What are the boundaries, God, that you have set up? Because God, and, and that led me to looking for the exceptions, right, and the workarounds. Because God, what if this happens? And God, what if that happens? And God, what if he says this? What if she does that? And so essentially what I ended up doing with God is asking God, okay, God, how close can I get to sin without actually sinning? God, how close can I get to making you angry at me without really, right, making you angry at me? Now, I know you're probably sitting there and, you know, thinking oh, that's really silly and, and childish, and it, it was, it was, okay? But that is truthfully what I thought. And honestly, at the end of the day, that's really what all religion actually boils down to, isn't it? It's about a relationship between you and God, which is gauged by 
or measured by your obedience to the laws of God. That's what all religion is all about. And again, I'm not talking about heaven when you die. This is just, are you and God good? Am I and God good? Are we okay with each other? So now again, when you hear all that, and if you're thinking, probably thinking a whole bunch of things, but the two things I'm interested in you might be thinking are either, okay, one, that was my experience also, or two, Joe, I'm a little confused right now because the way that you're talking kind of makes me feel like there's a different option. And see, I didn't think there was a different option because I just thought that's how it all worked. So if you're thinking either one of those two things, here's the problem with everything that I just said. And the best way I can illustrate this is just by asking you a question. Other than your pet, who else in your life actually obeys you? And let's be honest here, right, because cats obey no one, right? I've got two cats and one dog in my house. The cats obey nobody. The dog, he at least pretends to obey until we leave the room, and then he does whatever it is that he wants to do, right? But who else are the people in your life? Who are the people in your life that actually obey you, right? Think about the relationships that you have with your brother, with your sister, a boyfriend, a girlfriend, a husband, or a wife, right? What makes them a great husband and a wife? What makes them a great boyfriend or girlfriend? Oh, he obeys me. Oh, she obeys me. Now, you might think that, but you would never say that, right? I hope. Why is it that you have such a great marriage? Oh, he always obeys me, right? Not a chance. Not a chance. When it comes to relationships, right, what is it that every single one of us we know? You never build a relationship around simply obedience, right? Even with kids. I mean, in in fact, especially with kids. If you're here today and you actually have a great relationship with your parents, why do you have a great relationship with your parents? It's not because you obey everything your parents tell you to do, is it? And if you are a parent and I were to see you interacting with your kids and I were to go to you and say, hey, it looks like you've got a great relationship with your kids, you're not going to say to me, oh, it's because they obey everything I tell them to do. So if if that is the case, I'm interested, okay? Tell me. (laughs) I'm looking for answers. Tell me. Right? No, seriously. You never reduce a healthy relationship down to simply obedience, do you? In fact, I would even go so far as to say this. If you stop and you think about the relationships that are the best relationships that you have, the relationships that actually bring the most life into your life, the relationships that actually bring the most joy into your heart, I would go so far as to say that I'm willing to bet that the word obedience probably doesn't even enter in to those relationships. And yet, so why is it then that for so many of us, for all of us, what is the temptation? Why is it so natural for us to just simply reduce our relationship with God down to nothing more than obedience? Take out your Bibles, open them up to 1 John chapter 2. Now, that's on page 1,899 if you're using one of the Bibles either in front of you or behind you. And 1 John is at the, almost the very end of the New Testament. And 1 John, this is important to know, this is written, this is the same John who wrote the Gospel of John, right? So this is the Apostle John. 
And John is a first-person eyewitness to everything Jesus said, everything Jesus did, all the things that Jesus taught. John was actually there that day outside of Caesarea Philippi when Jesus said that he was going to create and begin this brand-new movement, right? this thing that Jesus called ecclesia, that he called church. And see, John was also there when Jesus spoke about the fact that one day there was going to be a new covenant, a new way to actually relate to God, a, a, a way to relate to God, a, a covenant that would exist with God, not simply between God and one group of people, but a, a relationship and a covenant that would exist with God and all of humanity on an individual basis. A covenant that would not simply be defined by obedience. And see, what's really interesting is that when, when you, even before the old covenant was, was considered or called old, what we discover right in the very beginning of the book of Genesis is actually that this new covenant, this was actually God's plan all along. What we discover is that the entire purpose of the old covenant was to actually point the world to and prepare it for a new one. And see, John was actually there that night in that upper room when Jesus said that from now on, from now on, whenever you gather together, together to celebrate the Passover, this thing which was the defining mark of the old covenant, Jesus said that from now on, you are no longer going to be celebrating something that took place hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years ago. Jesus said, no, from now on, when you come together, you are going to celebrate what is about to happen just a few hours from now. You will celebrate a new covenant, Jesus said. A covenant which has been made in my blood. A covenant that would no longer be defined by keeping some endless list of rules, but instead just one single command. First John chapter 2, the Apostle John writes this. He says, my dear children, right? And the reason he addresses us this way is because at this point, John is an old, old man, right? And so it's kind of like talking with your grandpa. Everybody who's younger than he is is just one of their kids, right? It's just kind of the way it is, right? And so he says, my dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, right? And, John says, big idea, don't miss this part. And, in other words, right, don't miss this, not only for ours. Now, again, this is huge, right? This is absolutely huge because this is 40 years after Jesus' resurrection, but John knows there's still all these questions out there in the church. Questions like, does God still like one group of people best? Do you have to actually start following Moses before you can follow Jesus? Is it now that God accepts everybody, but the Jewish people really still are kind of his favorite people? Is that how it works? See, John knows all these questions are out there, and so John says, no, let's get everybody clear on this. Jesus is the atoning sacrifice for our sin, and not only ours, but also for the sins 
of the whole world, the playing field has now been leveled, John says, because everybody now stands before God on the same terms. Which, if you stop and think about it for a moment, is an absolutely amazing thought. Because what are the terms that we all stand before God on? That Jesus has offered you. He's offered you, he's offered me, he's offered all of us, he's offered everybody the forgiveness of our sin. Those are the terms, John says, that Jesus has extended to everybody. He continues, he says, we know. We know that we have come to know him, that's Jesus, if we obey his commands. So John says, listen, your sins, they are forgiven, that is true. But in terms of a connection to God, right, here's how you know that things are actually good between you and God. Now, what John is saying here is incredibly important. It's very significant for us to understand because he's saying even though you have this thing, right, forgiveness of sins, it is yours. It belongs to you. Jesus gave it to you. It is yours. You have it. John says you still, we still, I still need to keep Jesus' command. He goes on, verse 4, the person who says, I know him, that is, you know, I, I, me and God, we're good, right? The person who says that, but does not do what Jesus commands is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Wow. Wow. Right? John says, listen, if you're telling yourself everything is good between you and God, but you're not doing what it is that Jesus commanded you to do, you're lying to yourself. And you're lying to everybody else around you. Which makes every single one of us, should make every single one of us very, very nervous. But, John is not done. Verse 5, but if anyone obeys his word, again, talking about Jesus' command, God's love is truly made complete in them. Right now, this is a big statement that John is making here because he's saying, listen, if you ever question whether or not your relationship with God actually matters to you, right? That's what he's saying. If, does, is this, does this matter to you? Is this something that you personally care about? The way you know that, John is saying, the way you know that that actually matters to you and is important to you because you don't have to guess anymore is if you do what Jesus commands, See, the truth is, John is saying, listen, this whole relationship with God thing is actually now a lot simpler, maybe, than you might think. He continues, this is how we know that we are in him, right? Whoever claims, big statement, whoever claims to live in him, right, must walk as Jesus did. And no, he's not saying go out and buy a pair of rope sandals. That's not what John is talking about, right? He's saying, no. He's saying, listen, if you get confused, if you don't understand what this means, he's saying from now on, everything is much simpler because all of us, we now have an example of what this actually looks like. Verse 7, he continues. He says, dear friends, I'm not writing you a new command, right? Because again, this is 40 years after Jesus, 40 years after the resurrection, the Gospels have all been written. They're all being circulated. The Apostle Paul's traveling all over the world, planting ecclesias. Right? All that's taking place. So he says, I am not writing you a new command, 
but an old one which you have had since the beginning. Not the beginning of time, not the beginning of the Old Testament, not the beginning of the Old Covenant, but since the beginning of this thing, right? This movement that Jesus birthed into our world, this thing which is not natural to this world, this thing that Jesus called church. This old command, right? This old command, John says, is what you have heard Yet I am writing you a new command, which is just a confusing way of saying what I'm telling you isn't new, I'm just saying it in a new way. That's what John is telling us. Its truth can be seen in him, right? That's Jesus, John is saying. Its truth can be seen in him and in you. Right, This command I'm going to remind you of, John says, listen, if you want to know what it looks like, John says, listen, just look at, just watch Jesus because it can be easily seen in him and it can be easily seen in all of you, John is saying. In other words, this new command is not just simply a believe thing. No, John's saying this is a do thing. This is a, a become thing. And John's saying, listen, this is so obvious. This is so transparent. There are no questions whether you're doing it or not. Right? In other words, remember back to the old covenant days, John was saying, where you just kind of had to guess at where, where all this was at, where you just kind of had to guess where it is that you stood with God, whether something was a sin or not. Remember all that? John is saying everything is now much simpler than all of that. You don't have to guess anymore, he's saying, because it can be seen in Jesus and it can be seen in you because, John says, the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. In other words, John's painting this great big picture here and he's saying, listen, this thing that Jesus came into our world to bring into this world, this thing that is not natural to this world, it is starting to take hold. It is starting to move. And once it begins to shine, the light cannot be extinguished. The darkness cannot put it out. There is no turning it back because it dispels the darkness around it. And then John, in, verse, in the next verse, verse 9, he moves away from this very big picture idea right back to the here and now practical for us. And he says, anyone, right, anyone, anyone who claims to be in the light, right, anyone who says, I'm a part of the Jesus movement thing, right, anyone who claims to be in the light, but who hates his brother or sister, is still living in darkness, Because every single one of us, we are all good at finding exceptions to the rule, aren't we? Because if I were to stand up here this morning and say to all of you, okay, listen, I want you to raise your hand if there is a group of people, if there is a person out there that you hate. There is not a single one of you that would raise your hand. But if I were to stand up here and were to push into the details of that a little bit, and I said, okay, raise your hand if there's a group of people or a person out there you just don't like. Raise your hand if there's a group of people out there that you just don't want to have anything to do with. Raise your hand if there's a group of people out there or a person out there that you think is just so opinionated, so rude, so negative, so condescending, 
so disrespectful that I don't even just I don't even want to hear them speak. Now I don't hate them, right? Now I, now I wish that they would all just disappear, but I don't hate them, right? Because hate is such a it's such a strong word. I mean, I, I don't hate them, and yeah, it's true. If there was a button I could push and make them all disappear, I would. But I don't hate them. See, John's saying, listen. It's all so clear now. Anyone who claims to be in the light and yet dismisses, rejects, marginalizes, pushes aside, devalues, discounts a group of people, another person, is still in darkness. Ouch. Verse 10. But whoever loves his brother lives in the light and big idea here, there is nothing in them to make them stumble. See, basically what John is saying to us is this. Listen, if you get the, the, the love your brother, love your sister part down, right? He says, you're good to go. You're good to go. If you get the love your people who are not your people part down, John says, then listen, you're good to go. Because this is the old command in a new way, right? This is the same thing Jesus said. If you love the people who do not love you, and if you do for the people who will not do for you, if you pray for your enemies the way you pray for your friends, if you will greet the people who are not your people, and you will welcome the people who are not your people, right? if you are good to those who are, or are not good to you, it's not easy, John's saying. But it's not complicated either. You love your brother. You love your sister. You love those who are difficult to love, and you love those who would not ever dream of doing for you. Verse 11, but, but whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. Why? Because mistreating people actually creates conflict between you and God, doesn't it? See, we know that. We know that. Because isn't that what anger does in your heart? Isn't that what bitterness actually does in your heart? John says that's the darkness. It's the darkness trying to creep back in. But I asked them to forgive me. And John says, yeah, God forgave you. You might be able to quote chapter and verse, God forgave you, but you're still in the darkness, John says. Here's why. Here's why. Here's why John tells us to do this. Here's why we can't ever lose sight of this. As followers of Jesus, we can't ever move away from this, as uncomfortable as it is. Because everybody is somebody Jesus died for. Right? Because Jesus is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only ours, but also the sins of the whole world. Right? The, person, the person you dismiss, the group of people you dismiss, the group of people you don't like, the, the person you don't like, the person you don't want to have anything to do with, the Savior who died for you, right? he died for them. 
And if you mistreat someone that Jesus died for, right, you can't, John is saying. Listen, be in the light. Now, we get this, right? We get this, don't we? At the most basic level, because when someone mistreats someone you love, how does that make you feel? Right? If you're a parent, when someone mistreats your son or your daughter, heaven forbid, how does that make you feel? When someone mistreats someone that you love, it's like they're mistreating who? You. See, this is exactly, this is exactly what the Apostle John is telling us in the Scripture. This is exactly what Jesus says all throughout the Gospels. This is what's at the very center of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Our message, right, our mission is to let the world know that Jesus actually came to be the advocate for everybody. And so as followers of Jesus, really, this question, see, that's actually the wrong question. The right question is this. What does love require of me well then how are we supposed to know what sin is well it's simple you just look at the people around you and you decide what's best for them and if it's not what's best for them then it's a sin why because your heavenly father loves them and if you hurt them then you and him have a problem right see all of a sudden this is no sin is no longer a mystery is it and see the challenge is this this is a far simpler question i mean there are no lists to memorize here are there Right? There's nothing left to learn here, is there? There's no list of do's and don'ts with this one. This is far simpler, but it is far, far more demanding. Because when you love another person, there are no shortcuts. When you love another person, there are no technicalities. There are no workarounds. And this is why John reminds us, right, If we get confused somewhere along the way, when we feel the darkness pulling back at us, we have an example. We have an example. Just watch Jesus. Just watch Jesus. Because when you actually read through the New Testament, and what you discover is that all the do this is and all the do not do that and all that stuff that's in the New Testament, all those New Testament commands, all the husbands love your wives as Christ loves the church, right? All that, all that stuff, really all that is are answers to the question, what does love require of me? You want to know how to love your wife? You put her first. That's what it means to love your wife. You want to know how to show respect to the group of people or to that person that you struggle to respect? Just ask the question, what does love require of me? And all of a sudden, things get painfully, painfully clear. And see, that's John's point in writing this, in reminding us of this. He's telling us, listen, you've seen it. You've experienced it. This was actually done for you. He says, followers of Jesus at faith, the tension that you will always feel, the tension that you will always experience, because it is so easy to just worry about, am I believing right? And ignore whether or not I am loving well. That's the tension we will always feel. And believing right, it is important, but so is loving 
well. And we can never forget that because John tells us, listen, I've seen it in action. You've seen it in action. The people at Victory, they're going to see it in action in just a couple of weeks. They're going to see your love for them in action. People in this community are going to see your love for them in action. Because it was love that changed the world. It was love that changed your world. And it's that love John reminds us of, that Jesus reminds us of. It's that love by which everyone will know that we, you, me, all of us, that we are Jesus' disciples. So go and do likewise. Let me pray for you and for us. Heavenly Father, Father, we hear words like that. We read words that you've given to us. We read your scripture, and Jesus, we are just all over inside of that. And Father, there are so many emotions that the truth bubbles up in every single one of us. And so, Father, as we think about all that we've heard and what you've said to us this morning, this is what I ask. That first and foremost, that we would always remember to thank you for first loving us. And Father, it's my prayer on behalf of all of us that the truth and the reality of your love would so penetrate and permeate our hearts and our lives that it would be your love in us that enables us to actually love people who are difficult to love and to serve people who are difficult to serve and to do for others what others would not dare dream of doing for us. And Father, my prayer is that we would always be a group of people who believe right, but we would also be a group of people who know what it means to love well and to serve people just as you have served us. And Father, there is not a single one of us here today, me included, that cannot hear this and acknowledge that there is a gap. There is a big gap between how you treat us, what you've done for us, how you love us, and how we love, how we respond to the people that we know, the people that we don't know, the people in our families, our neighbors, our communities the very people your son died for. And so, Father, it's in these next few moments that I ask that you would hear all of us as we confess our sin to you. good news of the gospel is the love that Jesus has for you never runs out. The grace that Jesus has for you never runs out. 
the mercy Jesus has for you, it never runs out. That when you feel the darkness nipping at your heels, Jesus says, not here. It is done. That sin is forgiven. You have been redeemed. You have been cleansed. You are a new creation in my name and through my blood. And so your sin, it is truly forgiven. In Jesus' name.